Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is February 26, 2020, and this is episode 2607 of the Survival Podcast. And I've got Curtis Stone with me today. We're going to be talking about anarchism. Uh, we're going to be talking about lifestyle design. We're going to talk about using the law to avoid having to follow the law. It'd be one way to put it. Uh, we're going to talk about building freedom and liberty. We're going to be talking about some of the work that Curtis has been doing. Uh, for those that don't know Curtis, he is known as the urban farmer. He uh, farmed for almost 10 years. Uh, and he recently quit farming because he's got so many other things going on. But this guy built a farm without land. And then eventually got some land and then did more farming and just an amazing guy. And he's a very smart business person as well. I first met Curtis at Permaculture Voices. I think we figured it out as like almost eight years ago now. And we have been really, uh, really good friends. Uh, across distance for a long time since then. And he's just a guy that I really enjoy um, having conversations with. And because of that, this show, like yesterday, is going to go almost two hours. So it's going to be a long show. I have a disclaimer, and I'm going to make it twice during the intro, right before I bring Curtis on and right now. Um, Curtis, at one point, says, can I cuss on the show? And I said, yes. And uh, the the uh, the F-bomb started dropping uh, quite a bit and came back a couple times. And I think it was one of those things of being set totally free, and I'm not taking it out. Uh, I didn't expect it to be uh, quite the way that it was, but it, it is what it is. And so I am marking this ex ex episode explicit, uh, and I am notifying you that. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're one of these people that get butt hurt because you heard a word you didn't like, And you email me about this. I am going to mock the living shit out of you on the air by name for being a complete intellectual idiot and complaining about something that you're being told about. Because every time I end up with a guest that does this and I decide to let it go, I have to deal with one of you being a complete moron. And I don't need morons in my audience or in my life. So if you're going to be offended by a word that starts with F and rhymes with truck, skip this episode, or you could grow up. I also say this because there are some of you that do let your kids listen, and if you are one of those people, you've come to an expectation that you might hear me say shit or ask, but you don't hear the F word very frequently on this show, and I think it's only the right thing for me to let you know there's an exception here if you don't want your kids to hear it, and that is a totally reasonable expectation on your part, which is why I'm doing this. So, Before we get Curtis on and have this great conversation, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor day number one today, Safe Castle Royal. All the stuff for your prepping needs, Safe Castle has it. They're a great company. They're original survival podcast sponsor because they were the first people to sponsor this show. They asked to sponsor this show over 11 years ago. I didn't take them right away. I didn't have a big enough audience. I didn't think it was right. But when I built the show up, they were still there. They've been a sponsor now for over 10 years in the world of podcasting. That's pretty amazing. And they give away their discount buyers club for free for life for all members. You can't even buy it as a lifetime membership anymore. They sell it for $29 a year. They used to sell it for $49 one time. So it basically paid for your MSB for your first year. Now that you can't even buy it, But they'll give it to you for free if you're a lifetime, or if you're a member of the uh, MSB. So they're just a great sponsor. And if it's if they if it exists, 
in the world of prepping, they probably have it at Safe Castle Royal. Next up, Backwoods Home Magazine. Binland listener to Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993, or listener, reader of Backwoods Home Magazine since 1993 when I got out of the Army. So when they asked to be a sponsor, it was really easy to say yes. It is the Journal of Self-Sufficiency, Self-Reliance, Independence, and Liberty. If you like this show, you'll like Backwoods Home Magazine. Check them out. I'm so glad that they're back after having been gone for a while. They decided to bring the publication back, and I, I immediately uh, was resubscribed as soon as they did. With that, before I bring Curtis on, uh, let's talk about our quote of the day today. Um, I, since we're going to be talking so much about freedom and liberty and independence and lifestyle design and the concept of life without a state um, and, and developing as much liberty as you can in your life, I looked for a quote that was freedom-related. And I found one by uh, Marcus Garvey, who was a Jamaican publisher. And this is what he said about freedom. Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And I actually would say that there's an episode of this show called There Is No Sovereignty Without Mental Sovereignty. If you've not heard it and you like that quote, you need to listen to that old episode. I'll put a link in the show notes to you for you for, for you today. Um, this is one of the truest statements ever made. You cannot be free unless you are free mentally. And the only person that can free your mind is you. And there are a lot of things in this world that are specifically designed to mentally program you into compliance and in mentally program you into a word that can only be used. The only word that can be used to describe this here is to make you a slave. And the problem we have is when we, we say that word, we see old you know drawings of chained Africans being led onto a ship or off a ship or onto a plantation. And we have convinced ourselves that that is the only form of slavery that exists. I, I, I can tell you flat out, it is not. And we now live in a world where the slaves provide their own housing and their own food and their own care, but they're still slaves. And most Americans are nothing but proud slaves. There's another episode called That. And that, if, if you struggle with some of the stuff that we talk about today, those two episodes would give you a good foundation maybe come back and listen to this one again. Because we're going to talk about some pretty controversial subjects at some points here. So, again, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery. None but ourselves can free our minds. And another reminder for those of you that maybe skipped ahead, Curtis is going to use the F word quite a few times in this episode. I'm marking it explicit, and I am putting out this notification. And... I'm going to tell you one more time with that. If you write me and complain about it, I'm going to mock you mercilessly on the air for being an idiot. Because I don't know why you would listen if you're going to be that butthurt about it. But every time there's at least one. Who's it going to be this time? We shall see. All right, guys, with that, let me welcome back to the Survival Podcast, Curtis Stone. Hey, Curtis, how you doing, man? Great, Jack. Happy to be here. Hey, glad to have you on today. We've had you on before to talk about a variety of topics. From the stuff you do with urban farming to anarcho topics, we're going to really zero in on anarcho-capitalism today and some other cool things that have been going on in your life. Uh, mm. Before we do that, though, be, uh, can you, like for the people that don't know who Curtis Stone is, give us a, you know, the, the elevator speech, like how you got into what you're doing and, and where you live and you know, what you did in school or whatever. Just who the hell is Curtis Stone? Yeah, yeah. So um, 
Yeah, I live up in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. I spent almost 20 years trying to be a, a professional musician. Um, did that in Montreal and then um, thought the world was going to end in 2008 and uh, got really like kind of prepper mindset, which <laughs> hasn't changed. <laughs> and uh, that kind of propelled me back then to get into farming. And so I spent... I had a kind of a year's journey of um, learning as much as I could about about ag, and then I decided to start a, a small urban farm at that point because it was kind of the cards that I had available at the time, and it, and it worked great. I started a business called Green City Acres, did that for 10 years, um, kind of did, did as much as I could with that business. Um, along the way, I became a content creator, you know, started talking to guys like you, uh, going to conferences, wrote a book. Um, built a an online course. Since then, I've I've built another one. Um, just kind of through that path, um, built a career as a public speaker, consultant, content creator, uh, entrepreneur. Now I own a tools company in California. Um, so I do a bunch of things now, and I, I'm actually I don't even farm commercially anymore. I mostly what I do. Is my day to day is I run a membership site called fromthefield.farm. Uh, we're actually about to just convert that over to fromthefield.tv. We've got a new platform that we're launching. Uh, and so now I'm kind of like an ag, regenerative ag journalist, really. I, I just, I, I spend a lot of time traveling around and visiting farms, doing long form content. You know, like I've built quite a bit of a following on YouTube, got something like 350,000 subscribers on there. Um, it was a great place to get a start as a content creator. Um, but a lot of, you know, it's probably something we can get into today is, you know, the whole, the whole space, uh, Google, the censorship, all this BS that's going on today has really changed the game. And so I have jumped onto a newer trend, which is to build my own platform. And, and that's where I'm putting most of my time into. And so that's kind of become my full-time job in the last year or so is, is just creating content for this membership site. And we've got just about 4,000 people in there now and expecting to 10x that in the next year or two. We've got some growth plans. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of spent most of my time. And I've been designing tools. Uh, our mutual friend, Diego Fooder, him and I run this company called uh, MG Tools, which is which is modern grower, really. Uh, we're rebranding to that. It was first called Paper Pot Co. Uh, so we've been inventing tools. I've got two guys that work for me full time up here in Kelowna. So we manufacture and design a lot of stuff up here. And then we sent it on skids down to our warehouse in Vista, California. And so, yeah, I've been kind of doing a lot of things actually. Yeah, I didn't all know you were farming, but yeah, I didn't know you weren't farming commercially at all anymore. Are you still doing a lot of growing, like for personal oh, use? Yeah. And do you oh, have hardcore. do you have like any people are like, hey man, you got you got you got some got some greens, man? You know, I mean, yeah. like these. <laughs> You still got a few little side customers or something no, like that? No, I, I, I don't. Um, I don't have any customers on my farm. Like, I, I completely shut my farming business down. It kind of happened fast. Like, you know, I'm, I'm just one of these guys that's like, kind of like you, or just like, I'm, I, I stay busy and I'm just like always busy and find reasons to be busy and I just get wrapped up in a lot of things. And in 2018, I was still running my farm. At that point, I was fairly hands-off. Like I had one guy who was like my foreman, and he allowed me – it was great because it bought me freedom where I could actually go and do speaking gigs and tours in the summers, which before then I would never been able to do. And so I was in Europe doing a tour there. I was at Richard Perkins' farm in Sweden. And uh, when I came back to Kelowna, the farm was a mess. <laughs> it was like <laughs> he, he screwed up. I mean – 
he was a good guy. He was a really great dude who worked for me, and there's no hard feelings at all. But he he got a little lazy with it, and he screwed up like all the fall crops. And oh. so when I got back, it was like damage control was so bad for me that I would have had to jump in and basically not do all this other stuff. Because at that time, I still had the tool. I had the tools company. I was like actively uh, in the content creator, actively consulting, actively public speaking, had all these other things and obligations. Also had a, a, a kid at that time. Uh, one, I have two now. But, you know, it, it was like I just could not realistically jump in and save the farm and so it was at that point where i had to kind of make a split decision it's like well what am i going to do because it because economically like i make way more than i do on the farm than off the farm now so to jump in and save the farm and then compromise all these other things doesn't make any economic sense and you know you know what it's like when you become a parent you you start to get a little kind of careless and fearless with decisions it's just like you know what like I have to look at what's really important for my family right now. Yep. And carrying on the farm just doesn't make sense. And so I kind of at that point made a decision to just like we finished the season and then I just shut her down. Like it was hard. It was a really difficult decision, but it had to be done. And you know what? I, I at that point, I felt like 10 years in there wasn't really anything new for me to do with urban farming. Like I'd pretty much done it all. I got like almost 800 videos on YouTube. You know, now I look on YouTube and there's all these other guys doing what I've done for the last six, seven years. It's like, great, you know, but for me to continue to offer anything new in that space wasn't going to do it. So if I was going to change my farm, it would be like scale up or try something totally different because I'm one of these guys that gets a little bored yeah. if I'm the same thing over and over. I think you're kind of the same. I've seen you try a lot of different things too. And so, yeah, that's kind of where where I'm at right now, really. So I have an interesting question for you. Uh, we're going to talk about anarchism today and, and some other things. Um, but having farmed now, and I know you kind of always came from the school of you know anarcho thought, uh, at least as, as long as I've known you. I think the day I met you, you walked up to me after my talk and you said, "Hey, I got to talk to you about anarchism," and I was like, "Well, I'm an anarchist." You're like, "Oh, okay, good." <laughs> but uh, but but. Having farmed for a living for, God, I guess about a decade, mm -hmm. how do you under, like, can you even understand how when you look at a person that's a farmer, if they have kind of a big government leftist ideology, like, I, I've just always thought, and I don't mean the person with the automated combine with 8,000 acres in Nebraska. You know, I'm talking about somebody do, building a business on the model that you had where you're working every day for every dime that you earn. Yeah. It's, it's a completely unforgiving business. You know that. You, you don't oh, run it right. It will, it will bust you quick. And they actually get successful doing that. And then they still want like government intervention because like the biggest uh, problem you have indeed. in ag is government. I know, I agree, 100%. Especially small ag, right? Because like yeah. big ag, you can understand it because they're getting subsidies and all that. But people that are farming, you know, a half acre to a couple acres, like the biggest problem, like how, like don't you ever just look at that and go, what? You know what I mean? Like, like. Oh, dude, dude. I mean, it, it, honestly, it, I understand. I'm starting yeah. there, right? But I mean, no, five I know. I years into it, aren't there. you? Like, didn't you learn anything? Yeah, no, I know. I love that you're. You, you, that that's it. I mean, man. That is, to be honest, it's such a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that in, in an interview, but it has honestly been the bane of my existence for many years because I kind of came out of the closet as an anarchist, I don't know, like 
probably not too much longer than the first time I met you. Okay. I maybe that's been a while now. That's like, a while. Five, it's almost ten years. Almost. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, well, yeah like eight. First permaculture voices. You know, yeah. when was that? That's when we first met. Yeah. So it's been a while for me. I kind of lose track of time, but um, you know, it drives me crazy, dude. Because like you know, it, especially in the urban ag space, it's full of like Bernie Bros. Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah. It's insane, and I, they don't realize that like they're 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 that whole thing is their undoing, um, in in so many different ways, and we can go into wh- why that is, but yeah, it's it drives me crazy, and and it, and to be honest, Jack, it's it's been a lot of the reason why I've stepped back, like you know, I've I, I I've changed my direction, you know, like. I've gotten so exhausted with that because for many years I was going to these conferences and a lot of it was like climate change conferences yeah. and stuff. And you and I kind of are on the same page with that. And it just, it just drives me bonkers. Like it, you know, and so I'm just kind of, you know what I've realized in the last couple of years is I, can I swear on this? Does yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I just don't fucking care. I'm just like, <laughs> you know what I, mean? like, I, I am who I am and I'm not going to fucking censor myself. Yeah. And if you don't like it, fine. I don't fucking care. I've, <laughs> I, I've been actually pleasantly surprised because I've recently come out of the closet with some deeper shit that I've got into because I've really – like I I started helping out farmers. Um, you know, like that's been my kind of passion project is helping farmers find solutions to problems with government. Yeah. And I, it kind of came through my consulting practice and then it started to come out through some of my content because I started digging and digging. I started reading laws. But I started saying some shit that did get me some backlash, for sure. sure. Um, but you know what? Has that affected my bottom line? Honestly, can't even tell you that it, I, I could measure that in dollars and cents. You, you can see haters, but it's like you know the same thing. It's like in business. People that are these loud squawk boxes that complain about this, that, and the other and fucking write up, write, write, they might email you and say, oh, man, I'm so disappointed that you're a fucking – you're a capitalist, blah, blah, blah. And um, they were never going to spend a dime with you anyway. And they never did. No. I, often, I get those emails and then I search their email through my databases and they haven't bought my book. They haven't taken my court, like nothing. Yeah. And so it's like, OK, um, yeah. And honestly, every time that's happened, because and it's rare that it does. Because uh, it takes a bit of effort and a bit of skin in the game to reach out to somebody like that. So yeah. in a way, I kind of respect that. I respect if somebody reaches out and says, hey, you really let me down. I'm open to that because I'm willing to accept that I could be wrong on anything. But when you when you look at what, what value they brought you, because they're putting a lot on you to say, hey, you did this and that. Yeah. But then what did they bring you? Nothing. Nothing. So, well, and my thing is, I can't let you down if I never made a commitment to you, right? So like you're let down. That's your problem. Because the only commitment I've ever made is to be authentic and honest, right? So what you're asking me to do to make you happy is the opposite of what I, the one commitment that I've made to be authentic and honest. Like that's that's the only thing I've ever promised to do. Yeah. And so if you're let down by me keeping my one commitment I've made as a public personality, I I really don't give two shits. In fact, my field of fucks is barren. Like I don't even have one left to give you. It's it's over, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. But so, I just, yeah. you know, what what, stri- what drives me crazy with it is okay. So first of all, I think the best thing you can do to move toward liberty, mentally and you know, kind of mechanically in your life, is have a business. As soon as you have a business, you start learning about like 
the 90% of the tax code that tells you how to not pay taxes. Because only right. 10% tells you what to do. Then if you're in an ag business, it's, it's a brutal business. Only people that are really good make it because it's yeah. hard. And the one thing about it, though, is it has so many of those pieces of the tax code that you can use to your advantage. And you would think a person that made it through five years of that meat grinder, learning how to pay less taxes through the operation of a business, would have to make some move off the statist mark. Just some. Like anything. Yeah, you, you would be amazed. They double down. Well, oh, they do double down. I mean, you know, up here in Canada, like this whole country is suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Like it is <laughs> – It's absolutely mind-boggling. I mean, at least the ones – see, here's the thing I've realized is like what we think is the world often isn't because the way it's portrayed today through social media can be very misleading. So like really noisy people are on Twitter like, nah, 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 Bernie, you know, social yeah. justice, blah, blah, blah. Um, but they're not crushing it. Like, no. So – You know, because th this is kind of what I've discovered through f f becoming sort of a, more of a journalist and just making content about good farmers. And I don't discriminate. Like, I, I'll go and make videos with some total leftist. Like, sure. I don't care. Because I, for me, from the field is all about content and solutions in ag. So I don't care what a person's politics are. I can totally go and just avoid that conversation. Um, I've had some people like outright discriminate me because they don't like my politics. And it's like, yeah, whatever, that's on you. Um, but, you know, the, the, what I've realized is that the best farmers aren't content creators. And and it's just the reality because like I see people posting stuff and I, I saw a funny comment the other day where somebody's like, is there anybody else in the urban farming space besides Curtis who's making content? <laughs> yeah, I just saw the thread and it was it's hilarious to see that. But it's like maybe not. I mean, there are now there's a lot of people doing it, but the best ones aren't on social media. They're too busy farming. And so it's yeah. been kind of fun for me to go and dig and find really good producers that are just like crushing it in their space and they don't care about social media. They're not like yammering on about this, that and the other. I actually find for the most part, those men and women are libertarians okay. because when you, when you, when you work just like, like you've outlined doing yeah. that for so long, it's so hard not to come to that because you get so tired of it. And that's what, you know, like kind of something I was kind of wanting to talk to you about today a bit is like, that's what's led me to, some stuff where I really went down the rabbit hole with get reading laws. Cause I was trying to help some farmers on the coast of British Columbia. We have this stupid Marxist, uh, land thing here in British Columbia called the agricultural land reserve. And it was set up in the 1970s as like a, a way to stop development, eating up all the ag land. It was this sort of utopian idea. Maybe you can make the case that there was a, there was a good, uh, good intentions behind that but it's like you know what are intentions and what are results you know we, we know those are vastly different when it comes to policies but they set this thing up and so i was i was trying to help some farmers that were getting railroaded by these stupid policies and i made a video about it um and there was one woman who was running this really cool regenerative farm business all in one restaurant they were growing barley for their bread they had all this it's just such a beautiful business model and they were doing really well but then these bureaucrats came and said well look you can't do that for whatever reasons no, no point to get into the details of why but 
it was a bunch of BS. And so I made this video about it and it kind of led me down this rabbit hole. Um, I started reading the laws myself and, and I discovered this thing in Canada called Royal Assent, which is like Canada's this what we call a constitutional monarchy, but it's actually all this bullshit. But that's what we think it is. And we have this queen and, and whatever. And um, I found all these like funny loopholes in the acts. And, and, and I started to really learn a lot about the law and the legal system and the history of Canada. And, and I started putting these videos out, which kind of, you know, you know what it's like, you know, you put yourself out there, people come at you, right? Cause like if you're the guy that, you know, puts down the flag and you've got a following and you're standing on this big pile, people go, Oh, look at that guy, you know, and then, and then they come at you. And so through this process, I had really interesting people reach out to me who had information that I didn't know. And then I started digging and digging. I started this podcast called Liberty on the Land and I started interviewing people that had solutions in either like common law or the legal or whatever. And I just started uncovering crazy shit, Jack. Like, mm. you know, basically in a nutshell, what I discovered is that Canada doesn't even exist. Like Canada is a corporation and it's actually yeah. registered on the United States Security Exchange Commission. You can go Just let me hold you right let me hold you right there for anybody out there that thinks he's just lost his mind. I know for a fact what he just told you is the truth. Please go ahead. <laughs> it's so it's the truth. Uh it, it and it goes deeper than that because the United States is the same thing. There's Absolutely. the there's the United States, which is the republic in title case, the, the 50 sovereign nations, states. And then there's the United States of America, all caps, registered in Washington, D.C., the city state. And so it's insane. We live in this, we live in this world that is basically a, but then this is where I think we could get into a real deep anarchist conversation or philosophical okay. debate or is that, is that, what I discovered is that what we actually have is anarchy. We live in an anarchist world. We just have a bunch of corporations running around telling us that they're our government and we believe them. But there are many people out there that know that that's not the case. And I've met probably a dozen American nationals or state citizens that are often referred to in the U.S. that are full on bona fide sovereign men and women on the land and that's not just bs that's a bona fide fact and there's two million of them in the united states and it's a huge movement and i've kind of tapped into this whole thing and it's it's unbelievable and there's people here in canada doing the same thing because it's like once you know the truth and you know how to act and know where you stand then all this game changes and what i've recently discovered is that this is how all the rich do it too like all the top cronies they all do the same shit. They all know. They all understand how it works. They don't have birth certificates. They don't have. They're not logged into the system the same way you and I are. Like, if you if you have a passport and you look at that number on the bottom and there's a P in front of it, that basically means pauper, peasant, poor, proletariat. Like <laughs> we are all a bunch of peasants, and we th th these corporations rule the world. And this is the interesting thing that I think leads us to. An interesting conversation in anarchy, which I haven't heard anybody have before, in that if we can accept – because like for the philosophical purpose, like I, I do consider myself an, anar an anarcho-capitalist is in that like go in the world, create value, don't, pe don't steal people's shit, 
create value and and like you know a farmer's market you know a farmer's yeah. market is like you know in my opinion the perfect like anarchist capitalist system um the problem that that brings us is that if we do understand that these corporations essentially run the run the world in many ways and there's there's a lot of things above that what do we do with all the land that we consider public land? So let's say you and I, we can agree on some basic philosophical premises on how we would construct a society without a state. What do we do if we get there? What do we do if that can happen? What happens to all that public land or what's deemed as public land? Like, where does that go? Because that's where the real value is. Like, that's why we don't even need taxes, because all the value of that land is so valuable. The resource extraction and all those things could pay for the government a hundred times over, but it doesn't. It just goes to these cronies that just make money on our slavery. And that's where I'm at this philosophical kind of like wall where it's like I do think anarcho-capitalism is a great idea in principle or in, in, yeah, in principle. But I don't know where the rubber meets the road because yeah. like what do we do with all the public land if we got there? Well, there's the, the, the historical precedent there. Going back to when government was far more uh, obviously basically a an anarchy with it, the problem is you now have a monopoly right but there yeah, were a exactly. lot more monopolies yes. back in like the feudal times or whatever when peasants were actually probably more free than we are today by the way yeah because if you left one you know lord or prince or duke's you know duchery and went to another one. You, it was it was the concept of what we have we had here in the original republic in the United States. Yes, with the states. Yep. You, you go from Florida to Georgia, your whole world changes. That's and right. the more the federal government does, the less the difference matters. That's that's, that's the, right. the counterbalance. So at that time, there was the concept of known as the commons, and yep. there was common land, right? And of course, yep. the, the duke or the duchess or whatever charged people to use it. Um, which doesn't necessarily have to be bad. In that type of a monopolistic system, it's going to be. Yeah. But the you know what I, I try to drill into even people that I'm completely counter to what they might have right. So with anarchy, anarchists, you have two main camps and like a five thousand other ones, and it's generally ancoms and ancaps, right? That's right. So you yeah. have these anarcho-communists, which I will say that if you want to use communism, socialism, etc., as as an adjective. You can have as much of it as you want. If you want to use it as a system to make me be part of it, I will kill you. Right? That's, exactly. That's how that works, right? Just that's I'm right. completely flexible, right up into or a little communist commune. Have at it, man. Beautiful, right? Right. But one of the things they describe is the concept of land rent and land rent paying for all the things that we need. So we have all yeah. this land. We all live here. There is the concept that their land would then have so, some sort of usage fee, which, if you think about it, is what property taxes are. Yep. Right. But That's exactly. But the, the 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 amount that somebody would be willing to pay for access to land if they didn't also have to buy it and then pay for the privilege of owning it a second time would probably be significantly higher. And it also yep. then opens up land to where. Like, if I have a piece of land here, I don't want to share it with you, Curtis. I'm sorry. You have your yeah. piece of land, right? Like, I don't have a commune. But if I'm getting access to larger pieces of land that I don't want to put my house on, that I just want something from it, then I'm totally open to, like, if I want to do one thing, 
and you want to do another thing, that both of us have access to that land as long as we were, you know, like if you're going to extract minerals, you're not digging a hole in my field that I'm grazing my cattle in. Like there's got to yeah. be some way to allocate that, but we have technologies that do that very thing. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you have multiple people paying for access to the same land. Then you, the problem then becomes how do you make sure that that money is not used the way that it is right now, which is basically to enslave everybody. Exactly. And, and this is where I think there's this sort of, I hate to say it, but there's this sort of minarchist case, mm -hmm. which I find myself agreeing with in some ways. Because I think in the U.S. at its core is really like the perfect system that, that I think has ever existed in history. When you really look at the founding documents and the original ideas. The, the Old uh, Republic was the best anybody's ever done. I don't know that it, it was perfect. It was the best anybody it, has that's, ever that's done. That's exactly it. Yeah. But the problem we have here in Canada with such a massive country and so few people on it is that there's so much wealth in the resources. And it's like to form some kind of, you know, anarchist system is really difficult in the sense because it's like, well, Who's going to get the value of all that public land? Because it is valuable. And this is the thing that I've discovered. You know, like when you get into the, when you start getting into the tax codes and stuff like that, which I have in Canada, um, you can't find anywhere any transparency on any tax except a direct tax, such as a tax on fuel or a, a, a toll on a bridge or a road. Or property tax, there is zero transparency. Like, you ever got an income, a, a tax statement when you paid your income tax that said, this is what these dollars pay for? Oh, no. I see what <laughs> you're saying. Exist. I, okay, the, I was, I was, the, whole, the whole tax tax is an absolute racket. Um, I mean, what I've discovered here in Canada is that the Canadi Canadian Revenue Agency is a for-profit private corporation that is directly connected to the IMF. And I'm pretty sure the IRS... The IRS is absolutely the same thing. Our tax dollars don't pay for a damn thing, not even the military-industrial complex. Well, uh, let, let me give you this little fact. If you look at what the interest on our debt is, mm -hmm. plus new monetary creation in this country going back for the last 20 years, that those two numbers together are almost identical to the individual income tax in America. 100% of our income tax actually funds monetary creation and interest on money that oh, we yeah. don't have to pay interest on if we didn't have the private banking system that they call a public banking system that we have. So exactly. in other words, there is no such thing as the issuance of a dollar in the United States unless that dollar carries at least one dollar of debt with it. It is Money is created through the issuance of debt. They, our Federal Reserve loans the money into existence. That's how yep. fractional reserve banking works at the private level, too. When you're like, you go buy a house, and you go, they say, you want $300,000 to buy a house, the bank doesn't give you $300,000. That's they right. They don't give it to you they at all. They yeah. issue $300,000 in new debt that yep. creates the money by creating the debt. Right? That's the right. That's, that's how that works. So the government does the same thing, but it's not the government. It's the no. Federal Reserve. And what they say is, well, the Federal Reserve doesn't, doesn't actually do this for a profit because they don't get the money paid back to them. What they collect, though, is the interest. Well, yeah. And, and that's and, and, hundreds and hundreds of billions of dollars a year. It's the single largest source of revenue oh. 
for any oh. organization in the world because it's pure profit because they do nothing for it. They do nothing for it. But the, at, at the at the root of it, where that all connects to is our birth certificates. Because our birth certificates, and this is the, this is pretty much the system around the world. This all this all came from the uh, the Vatican through a, 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 an express trust called Unum Sanctum in the 1400s. Uh, this is where it started. It actually didn't end there. The birth certificate thing came a bit after. But th- this whole racket, this whole corporate racket, is ba- has basically enslaved the world. That all actually, even Canadians' birth certificates, which have a QCIP number on the back, which all connect to the Federal Reserve, actually even go through the U.S. State Department. Um, that's how they. That's how they. Um, back the dollars so the dollars aren't backed by anything they're backed by the guarantee that poor suckers like you and me get these birth certificates issued to us at birth and then they're immediately bonded our birth certificates are bonds look if you if you were born uh before 1980 or i think might even be 85 that's what it is in canada here you can look on the back of your birth certificate it says right on the back for treasury use only it's it's an insurance instrument, and and this is where the Federal Reserve actually creates its value. It's the same with the Bank of Canada here. The Bank of Canada is actually the thirteenth bank of the Federal Reserve. That's what I've been. That's where I, that's what what I've figured out. I could be wrong, but that's where I've led on that. And uh, our birth certificates are how they create all this money because these corporations don't actually own anything except paper because they're all operating in what's called the Admiralty Law System. So there's three kinds of law, and this is where the real gravy in this stuff is, and this is what what's led me to figuring out. This is what all the elite rich know, like all the top dogs. That you're born into the Rothschild family, the Rockefeller family. You're not a a person. You are a a royal essentially. There's three kinds of law. There's the L A W is an acronym. The L stands for law, common the common law, the law of the land. The A stands for air, the air we breathe, which is the ecclesiastic law, which comes from the, the church. And the W is the water, which stands for the admiralty law, the law of the sea, which is the commercial law system, which is which all stems from the Holy See, the Catholic Church. And that is what runs the world today. We have basically a singular legal system, which all comes from the Bar Association, uh, the admiralty law system. That's why the Statue of Liberty is in the water. Because you guys are under an admiralty law system. But the rich, the real rich, know that there's two other types of law. There's common law, which is actually – that's where the American national thing comes in. It's very present in the United States. The whole constitution is founded on common law. We the people, right? That's common law. But the ecclesiastic law is a thing that not a lot of people know about, and that's trust law. And that's how all the super elite rich don't pay taxes It's because they don't own anything. Everything's in trust. And there's trusts in admiralty law, but that like family trusts and all that, that's different. Trusts go back to the Catholic Church thousands of years ago when Roman soldiers used to go off to war. They would hold all their property in trust and they'd appoint a trustee. They would be the grantor and then there'd be a beneficiary, which would be their children or their family. And when they come back, they come back and take over the trust. That's that's what all the elites do. And it's to be honest, it's. It's dangerous to get too much into it because this is the kind of information that when you really drill into it, the establishment doesn't want proletariats like us knowing this stuff. But but it's it's how it works. And I, I've, I've figured a lot of this stuff out just by just reading actual law documents. And it's amazing that a lot of this stuff, it still has jurisdiction. And there's this massive movement in the United States. It's incredible. And apparently – 
this is what's going on with the Trump administration. I can't like I can't say that for sure, but there is some major stuff going on in the U.S. And from what I'm where this stuff is leading me is that the U.S. might be going back to the common law. When you when you hear all these CNN fake news reporters and all this stuff saying, "Oh, Trump's going to be the last American president," I think they're planting a seed, and they're correct that he might actually be the last CEO of America Inc. and the first president of the republic. Hmm. But who knows? Like I, I can't I can't prove any of that stuff. But it's really interesting once you start to dig because. Yes, the federal, and this is where like a lot of these anarchists, like even even guys like Edward Griffin, who was the first guy I really got into that opened me up to what the Federal Reserve was. They don't even really talk about the birth certificate stuff, and I've always wondered why. Because when you really start to get into it, that's where it all leads. The birth certificates are these bonds. Like when we're born, your mother signs. Uh, in the U.S., I believe it's called a statement of live birth. It's basically a recording of the event of your birth. Correct. Your name is all handwritten. It's all in title case. Then they convert you to an all-caps name. And that's the neat thing. You start to get into definitions. Capitalism is not what you and I think capitalism is. It's actually to capitalize, to capitalize your name, capitalize company. That's why all companies are in all caps. United States of America is all caps. And then there's the United States in title case, which is on the constitution. And so it's, it's weird because it's that, that's what's happened is they've capitalized us into these insurance instruments. And then that's the, that's the root of the entire system. And I think people are waking up to this. People are realizing that we've been slaves our entire lives and we didn't know. And if that thing could change, I mean, I can't imagine what kind of revolution it would be, but I don't know how it looks because the more I start to, to, to ponder, okay, well, what if this changes and we do have some, some sort of opportunity to go back to like common law or this small anarcho-capitalist systems? What do we do with all this land? What do we do with all this public land? Who gets that? Are we going to give it back to the queen? I say fuck her. <laughs> <laughs> the queen? <laughs> she, she's been sitting on her ass her entire life just counting yeah. the money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I guess I, I think there's no such thing as a problem that can't be solved. And it, if the problem is we have all this land that we have to figure out how to capitalize on it uh, without doing it in some sort of monopolistic or unjust way. There, there's many answers to that. One is that it does become something that's, that's privately held. Um, but if you get out of this complete obscene tax system, uh, there's no reason then that, you know, 20 people like Jack Spirico and Curtis Stone can't collectively be the, the private entity that owns and manages the land. Mm-hmm. And, and then what you end up with is, can some people then abuse that? Sure, but there's a lot of land. There's, there is. And, that's and the people that do the best bath, with right? it are going to end up having more ability to acquire the control of more land. Um, you, you can, I hope so. You, you I would, hope that's the case. Because, you, I mean, you can just have all this land, and we'll get, what are you going to do with it? Right? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to sit there. It, it, does, it doesn't do you much good unless you have some way to, to monetize it. Yeah. So private ownership to me is, is probably at least part of the solution. I do have a, a, a great deal. Like the only thing that holds me from being full-blown as far as you can go anarcho private everything is I do have a belief that it is in the best interest of humanity to have some version of the commons 
Like that really is a great thing. Exactly well, yeah, what it especially looks in like. the environmental case, right? Because we we share the air, we share the water. We, you know, there's a lot of shared things that it's hard to find solutions for. You know. Well, and so if you own your piece of land and you say I can do whatever I want on my piece of land, I tend to agree with you. However, if what you're doing on your land by air, by erosion, by water is going onto somebody else's land and doing harm to it, then you know the beautiful thing about that is we're right back to the principle of non-aggression. Absolutely. At this yeah, point, 100%. your aggression is in your careless management of your land, and it's damaging my land. And you know the court system is pretty much a private entity anyway. What we have is this illusion. 100%. We have yeah. this illusion that it's the people, right? You know, the people versus Curtis Snow. No, the, for the Department of Justice in the U.S. is a total private racket. Yeah. 100% private yeah. racket. And, and so we have this illusion of it's the people versus Curtis Stone for growing his asparagus incorrectly, right? But what it really is is the, the equivalent of the Department of Justice in Canada, whatever you all call it, against you because yeah. they think they can extort you. Oh, or sometimes they don't even think they can extort you. They don't like the example you're setting. And what if everybody did this? So we have to find a way to shut this down. That's right. But if we didn't have this facade, if we everybody understood that it was private, and then well, that's just it. That, then that you can... have competing entities. Because yes. the problem we have is not that the system really is privately owned. That's not the actual problem. The problem is the collective delusion. That it's yes. a public system. That's right. Right when it's not. That's and, exactly. And, it. and you, yeah. you can hear it, it's 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 the people running it have deluded themselves into believing the delusion too. They don't even know that they're they don't even believe what we're saying is true about themselves. They pass a lie detector, and you can hear it in a politician's voice when he says, "Here's my plan to do all this shit, and here's how I pay for it." Yeah, you're 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 literally retarded on your face. There's no way you <laughs> pay for it. You don't yeah. have the money. We don't, yeah. This is yeah. You know, the, the, the honest statement from that politician would be, and here is how the people pay for it. They yeah. never say it that way, but they actually believe they're paying for it. They actually, they've deluded themselves. Like you've used the term Stockholm syndrome. Like mm -hmm. this is Stockholm syndrome, where the kidnapper thinks he's a good guy. I know, and this is this is this that, that comes to a, a big dilemma that I think we're in is that the world is suffering from Stockholm syndrome and. People have become so damn lazy, entitled, and fucking zombies. To be honest, I mean, tell you like as a as a parent, you know, like my daughter's almost three, my son's like four months. You know, we're we're new parents, and um, we see other parents, and this is a thing that really freaks me out. It makes me like. There's many reasons to be a prepper. Like I, I I'm a full on prepper. Um, But there's many reasons to be a prepper, economic, environmental, social, cultural, whatever. But honestly, Jack, nothing freaks me out more these days that when I, when I travel, I, you know, I, I do travel a lot still, unfortunately, but, you know, I get on these planes and I see 10 month old babies with iPhones in front of their face. Mm. And I've looked at some of the psychological uh, research on what these things are doing to kids' brains and it is scary. And even a, 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 we have a, a psychologist here in Canada who's quite world famous named Gaber Mate. He's done a lot of research under this. He says he wouldn't let a kid under 12 play on a device. And he thinks what's happening is we're creating a, a generation of psycho and sociopaths because the brain development is completely stagnated when you're on these devices. And 
kids' brains are being rewired differently. So I'm I'm thinking like maybe all these zombie movies that are coming out recently <laughs> is fat is just like public notice. Like, Different type of zombie, you know. Well, it's just I mean think about it. Like think about like what's going on right now. You know, like we got like this perfect storm of many things, and this coronavirus thing is like I'm not really afraid of the disease itself, but. What's going on economically in China is, you know, could have major implications, especially when you look at household debt around the world and all this stuff. What happens if we get into this situation where, like, there's no food in the stores? And I know, and you, you know, you've been talking about this stuff forever, um, as far as like how to, what, where, what the solutions are. And I think both you and I would agree on a lot of those things, but it is crazy to think that you've got all these people that are just, effectively useless turds <laughs> and not only are they useless turds they're walking zombies because they've been spoon-fed their entire lives um with this like this abundant that capitalism has brought but also this abundant welfare state as well that we've got this like absolute world full of useless turds that can't do anything and will go absolute batshit crazy when there's a slight disruption. That's what's been kind of on my mind lately as I look at how things could be going. You know, in Canada too, we've got some crazy stuff going on with like these, these protests blocking down pipelines. It's like our country is almost about to be at an absolute halting grind with, with the economy and it's going to have major implications. And it's like, in yeah. some ways, though, the hunger is the solution, right? When people screw I, I it up agree. bad I, enough and they go yeah. hungry, all of a sudden they become open to solutions to that problem. On the coronavirus thing with like the store shelves being emptied out, I think it's possible that sometime this year you'll see something like that happen in the U.S. and Canada. I also think it'll be quite short duration. And so you got to put things in context. In, in 2017, 2018, That, that flu season, 57,000 people in this country died yeah. from the flu. From the and flu. almost nobody even heard about it. Yeah, exactly. But now it's scary because it's the Chinese Kong flu or something, right? So yeah. everybody's yeah. overreacting to it. But what happens is I all the sheep that. freak, right? Yeah. Somebody from the CDC will come out. They'll have a, you know spreading in Florida or something like that, and everybody will freak. Everybody will run the store. It'll look like when it snows in Texas, like the day yeah. before it snows, Everything is wiped out, and it'll yeah. probably last longer than that. You know, and it'll be nationwide. It'll be like for a couple, three weeks, and then all of a sudden, everything will be stuffed to the gills again. Because when all these morons run home with all this stuff, they only have so much place to put it. They, they can't do it with meat or whatever because most people don't have but one little freezer. So it's yeah. all, all got to be these dry goods and everything. So it'll it'll put that disruption in the supply chain, and then a guy sitting there looking at you know 400 pounds of rice he's never going to use doesn't know what to do with it. He's not going back to buy more three weeks from now. So it'll be this disruption in the supply chain. If you're a prepper, you shouldn't give two shits about that. You should just be right. like, okay, I'm not going to the grocery store for a few weeks. Yeah. While this is going on, it's probably a good idea to stay home anyway, self-quarantine. Yeah. Right? It yeah, should absolutely. not be that big a deal. And that's why I haven't made a huge deal about it to my audience. And I'm going to tell you, if you start to see and you think we're about to enter that phase, dump all your stocks into cash. Wait for hysteria to peak and buy everything you had back, exactly, <laughs> exactly what you had, unless there's a compelling reason to, to make a diverse change, buy every penny back the totally. second that it happens. Because that's that's – and that's what I told everybody to do in 2008. I was like – in the summer, I was like, just bail. 
You know, yeah. and I didn't hit the bottom exactly where we hit the bottom in February, but I was like, by November, I'm like, just whatever you had, just buy it back. You'll be yeah. fine. And the people that did that, they made out really well. That actually was one of the big things that started my show on a roll was like, people were like, I've followed this guy forever. He made me a shitload right. of money, you know. <laughs> uh, I had one guy write me. He said he, his father was in tears because he talked him into doing just that. And they were now, you know, buying back in. His dad was in tears because he was like a year from retirement. And he realized had he not done that, he would have had to work another five years. Yeah. Right? So, like, it saved his retirement. So you, you can use these things to your advantage. But what you were talking about with the psychopath mentality, I think you're onto something with devices. And I don't know exactly what it is, but this is kind of where I would go with that. We're conditioning people to expect on-demand everything. Yes. So that's the, that's the expectation we've set. I've taken heat for telling people, you know, in my motivational stuff, like, you deserve what you want. But I always, like, when I, I always get pushed back when I do that in public speaking or whatever, because, oh, that's entitlement or whatever. I'm like, okay, here's the other side of it. You're going to have to work for it. You deserve it, but you have to do the work to get it. And key, what I'm keying in on is before you can get what you want, you have to know what it is. You have to identify it. Then you have to do the work to get it. So that's, that's the process there. We're conditioning people with the concept of you deserve what you want. And we're leaving out. But you have to work for it. We're teaching people, you deserve what you want, and somebody should give it to you. Yeah. And yeah. that is very dangerous for a society. It is. And, and the, the makes, most dangerous yeah. thing is the government actually figures out how to give it to you. Because then the control mechanism is very simple. We'll turn it off. Exactly. And that's, that's the control that's mechanism. What, that's why that's they want what, universal basic income. Because, oh, oh Curtis... I see that you're you're doing well for yourself, but you're not being a good boy anymore. No UBI for you. Click. And you've yeah. built a life on that money. And I'm sitting next to you going, well, shit, I don't want that to happen to me. Because yeah. most of our punitive system in our government, putting people in prison and jail and stuff, has nothing to do with rehabilitation. And it has nothing to do with protecting anybody. It has to do with intimidating a person because they don't want to go too. There, there's no thought toward reform in our prison system today. There's starting to be some rumblings about it, and that's good to see. But overall, the way that system's run, I can take somebody who committed a fairly minor crime, send them to like you know some some state prison in California for six months. When they come out, they are a true criminal now because they had to learn how to become one to survive. They're also in a system where things that you and I would do like would it wouldn't even matter. They go back to prison for years. For the same thing we can freely do. Mm -hmm. And that system is not designed to make anything better. It's designed to make you sit there and go, shit, I better yeah. do what they tell me to because I don't want to go into that rape-centered you know, rape -centered prison and yeah. be traded for cigarettes like happened to that guy right there. And then we protect ourselves and we form this, this concept that, well, if you were accused and convicted, you must be bad. Yeah. Even though the thing they were accused and convicted of, we've done a hundred times. That's somehow, somehow just... now it's now it's wrong because the state said it's wrong. Yeah, and that's and that's where I, I wonder if a lot of this stuff is coming to a head because, you know, I, I heard something like there's 60 million laws in North America mm -hmm. right now. Like, will you total up all the statutes, ordinances, and all that BS? Um, How is it sustainable for people like where it's just getting to the point where 
you, we have to constantly innovate to, to stay ahead. And, and what that does is it, that it creates a bit of inequality in a way too, right? Because it, there's less and less people that are willing to go through that grind to figure it out. Like you, you and I are both guys that would do that, but less and less people are. And when you, when you figure it like sort of the mind numbing mush that's being pushed on people and, and all these kids on these stupid devices all the time and like on these stupid social media platforms, it's like, that's, it's just, it's just, it's just not going to end well. I mean, you guys like you and I will do well. Yeah. There's no yeah. question about it. But, you know, part of me wants more people to do well. More like, you know, I, I, I can't help but have this sort of boyish utopianism sometimes where I just think like, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could just, all get along <laughs> yeah. just, and just, and just, and just be good to each other and, and not, and not be slaves. And, uh, uh you know, it's just, it, but I, I'm kind of a little bit apocalyptically optimistic lately in that there is something going on in the U S I know everybody likes to hate on Trump. Um, but it is quite amazing with who you look at hates him the most yeah, it is quite interesting. Just say whatever you want about the guy as an individual. Like he's not the best character as just like, is he a guy that I would probably hang out with? Probably not. Uh, if I wanted to talk business, no question about it. But, you know, is he, he he's, he's certainly somewhat of an unsavory character in many ways. Uh, I actually do enjoy a lot of his greatest hits personally. I oh, I, he's hysterical. Pretty, pretty hilarious. Yeah, but but. It's when the most entertainment out of the ass clown circus we've ever had. It is. Oh, there's no question about it. But when you look at who really hates him, it's quite amazing. I saw a little Twitter thing where he tweeted something about the Federal Reserve, and one of the Rothschild sons got really butthurt about it. Sure. And I was like, look at who he's triggering. Like, this is epic. If like, you're trolling Rothschilds, you're doing some things right. There's I mean, something you know? going on, man. And it is... it. Well, I think what's happened is the establishment, and when I say that, I'm not talking about Democrats and Republicans. I'm talking about the actual deep state. That, Absolutely. That, that, like people, you say that they think it's a conspiracy theory. It was like, well, have you heard of continuity of government? The government was designed with continuity in mind so that if something happened and you know key leaders were blown up or something, that it would continue. That system, you can't turn that system on and not end up with a deep state. It's impossible. So he's exposed some of the deep state. Not because he's, like, trying to drain the swamp and destroy it, because they're trying to destroy him. So that's making the creatures show themselves, right? So that's exposing people to the fact that that exists. People that never were open to the fact this exists now see it. And even the people that hate him, and I'm talking about general public people that hate him now, they know, even though they want it to get him, they know it's wrong. Yeah, They know it's wrong, and sooner or later they're going to figure out, especially like once he's gone and they don't have him to hate on anymore, hey, wait a minute, this yeah. all can be done to me. This, can, this is all done to everybody all the time. This is how this shit's controlled. I yeah. think that that opening is, is definitely happening, and I, I, I think it's overall a good thing, mm-hmm. but if you want to be apocalyptically optimistic, in other words, there has to be some sort of major pain for people to wake up, the best example I have of anarchism working is actually quite recent. It was in Stalin's Russia, and it was in Siberia, because everybody hears about the gulag, so they think they took all these people through them to gulag. They did a lot of that. But it's yeah. actually kind of expensive to keep people in a gulag. 
Yes. You can only mine so much salt to pay for them, right? And then it's just so there was another way that people went to Siberia. So they just basically ran the train to the end of the tracks out in the middle of Siberia and threw your ass out. Yeah. If it happened to be winter, that really sucked, right? <laughs> yeah. So these people that made it were the toughest people, obviously, Absolutely. and they're the ones that self-organized. Yep. So years later, when things kind of changed a bit in Russia, this is before Gorbachev, but you know, down the pike pretty far where things said, you weren't killing a thousand, hundred thousand people a day anymore. They're like, yeah, we should go check and see like what's going on. And they expected that everybody would be gone or everybody would be dead or be like, you know, some, some like nomads or something. And these people had thriving civilizations. They had no real government. They had government as in true self governance where like, Hey, you know, Oh, that guy raped a, a woman. Let's throw his ass off the cliff. Well, hey, we should make sure that actually happened before we throw them off the cliff. So they developed their own systems of governance, and they had a system where if I was in charge, I, it was expected of me, and I might go off the cliff if I didn't do this, that if some crisis came up and everybody just kind of looked to you and said, like, we, we, we like you, Jack, and you've done a good job for us, but in this position... Curtis is the guy that should be in charge. That I should actually just say, hey, Curtis, take over. Yeah. And that worked dramatically well. And I can't say it was pure anarchism because there was some structure that was created. But that's what we do as humans. We create structures. But exactly. Structure, everybody in that structure had a say in it. And it was like, oh, you don't like the way we do things here in New Siberia Town 1. We'll go see if the people in New Siberia Town 2 will have you. Exactly. And that's actually kind of a part of the conversation that I, that I, that I want to talk about. It's kind of cool that you mentioned that is because I think this is where true, like rubber meets the road liberty is possible right now here today in this world is people have to start getting the fuck out of the cities. I agree. The, the cities are an absolute liberal cesspool. And I don't mean liberal. Uh, I don't mean that derogatory and what I should actually I, I more mean leftist because because I'm really liberal in many ways. Um, and if you look at I mean, it's quite fascinating when you look at some of these population maps like they really they really hunkered down on this after Trump got elected. They showed all these like demographic maps of the U.S. They did the same here because uh, people were fascinated about it for a while. Um, is like where do people live who vote a particular way? And I'm not I'm not trying to truncate a person's. Uh, ideology down to uh, like left or right because i think that's a false dichotomy and it's a bunch of bs anyways but it, it, it's like it is interesting that in in general people that are more liberty minded and are willing to just bootstrap it and do it themselves live in the country and generally people who are the opposite who think government should do everything live in the cities and when you look at the absolute hellhole of los angeles or san francisco or Seattle or Vancouver, these like really big cities that are absolute leftist hellholes where you can't get anything done, taxes are insane, it's impossible to start a business, it's impossible to start a store. They're all completely left, right? They're yeah. all completely like in Canada, liberals or, the, or or Democrats in the U.S. And I think this is where people need to start coming together and saying, you know what, let's just get the hell out of the city. This is where guys like you and me can intersect and, and, and where a lot of this work in agriculture can actually have some real important uh, 
move the needle towards liberty is we can say, look, you know, start a farm. And this is like, for me, it's, it's sort of, it's kind of ironic because I'm the urban farmer, you know, like that's yeah. how people know me. And, and I, I was really all about starting farms in the cities. Now I'm kind of like, get the hell out of the city <laughs> because the city, it's insane. Like my wife and I, like that's our plan right now. Like we're, we're looking at buying uh, over a hundred acres and getting out because it's like, when I look at the trends, I mean, right now there's this trend, there's this opioid thing, right? That's happening yeah. all over the world. But then there's the smartphone thing. People are just glued to these. We've got these, like, we've got a generation of sociopaths, psychopaths coming up. We've got more inequality coming. Whether, what the root of that is, is, is very multifaceted. But you look at these trends, the cities do not look good in the next 10 years, in my opinion, unless there's some drastic change, which I wouldn't expect. I think things are going to kind of keep going on the way they were. Um, politics aside there's these trends in culture you know like we haven't even really talked about like the degradation of the man you know the degradation of like the male psyche and how like men have no purpose in life and how there's this directionless and like i look at the streets of my town here and it's like like i know a guy on my street i went to kindergarten with this guy i've known him almost my entire life dude is been mobilized by social justice warriors. There's like all these political activists going all around Canada now and handing out signs. To, they're trying to. They're like total Saul Alaninsky, uh, <laughs> radical activists mobilizing the poor. And I see this guy downtown. I've known him my entire life. He abandoned his children, his two kids and his wife. He abandoned them so he could do drugs all the time. And I see him downtown holding a sign saying "Stop the war on the poor." It's <laughs> like, dude, you piece of shit. Like, I know you. You're not a victim. You're fucking blaming society for this. But there's activists mobilizing these people. And so what I'm saying is these trends are going to continue. The cities are going to continue to become hellholes. The crime is going to increase, especially in big cities that are super liberal. Well, we have cities in like, the United States now that literally don't enforce any law if you're a homeless vagrant. Oh, California. Right. You can sweep your stoop wrong without a permit. And as a shop owner, they will throw you in jail, right? Absolutely. But somebody can take a shit on your Literally. stoop. <laughs> Literally. If you, if you touch them while they're shitting to push them off your stoop, they will arrest you for assault. Isn't there like a whole department in San Francisco now? Like It's like the shit Earth cleaners. Like, like, yeah. Well, they're creating jobs, Curtis. Oh, yeah. No, you know? it's, it's great. All these new government jobs. I mean, and, and that's the thing, too, here in Canada. Like, one in six people work for the government here in Canada. Yeah. One in six. Like... We, you know, like, I, I'm just trying to think of, you know... See, I've always thought about doing a community, like, and moving absolutely. people in and basically running it like its own little micro-city-state that, of that's anarchy. That's exactly what I want to do. That's it's very do. hard, though, because where you, even when you go to places that have very little regulations, as soon as you start putting enough places together, they call it a subdivision. The one piece of land, I looked at it to do it here, I put out some feelers... And in about three weeks, I could have I had enough people that wanted to be part of it. I could have raised somewhere between four and six million dollars, right? Um, I had a guy at PV1 come up to me who worked for the FTC and said, "I love what you do, but if you do it the way you're going to do it, they're going to put you in federal prison." So I kind of worked on that and figured out how I might be able to do that. But this other piece of land we found, I brought a guy in who helped write regulations for the county, and he's like. You're going to have to put $2 million into roads on this property yeah, before you can they, do yeah. anything. Yeah. So yeah. the only way I see to do it now is you also actually find a place 
where the land's already divided. I buy my, because a lot of these places, I can buy a piece of land. I can do whatever the hell I want, especially if I go off grid. Yeah. And nobody can really do anything. But if I start trying to give a piece to you and give a piece to you and give a piece to this other person over there, also now you're a subdivision. The, like, I can't remember the guy's name. It's Mike something or another, the guy that created the concept of the Earth ship. So, oh, Mike Reynolds. Yeah, right. So he yeah, goes yeah, out yeah. into New Mexico. Yeah, and you he can got build, on that. You can build anything you want, but yeah. he was building it for people and bringing people together, and they took his architectural license from him, yeah. even though he did like nothing actually illegal, because a lot of these licensing boards and stuff, they're also private. They can just get rid of you. Yeah, right? but this is Jack. This is where a lot more men and women in this space need to really start looking at the common law and start looking at the, the getting out of this admiralty system because everything like all this legalese man i mean i've got a, i've got two different legal dictionaries here like i i've really gone down the rabbit hole definitions like we use everybody uses that term person you know very fluidly because it's in common parlance it just means like a human right or whatever but in legal terms a person is a legal fiction created by the state like all of these things like you look at you get you start looking at laws start reading ordinances start reading tax codes whatever anytime they refer to somebody being subject to any particular law ordinance statute whatever It'll say person, resident, citizen, driver, whatever. They use all these legal terms. Never does it ever say man or woman. You know, Genesis in the Bible, God gave man and women dominion. That that and that's where all this law comes from. And I'm not particularly religious, but I do know there's a reason why there's a Bible in every court. And there are people, and I'm telling you, there's a lot in the U.S. that have figured this stuff out. There's less in Canada, though there are some. But uh, in the U.S., you guys have a really good framework. You don't need to be playing this game with these See, but when stupid you, Here's bureaucrats. the thing. As soon as, you, as soon as you plant your flag on land, you become vulnerable. Because that do, land is subject to – the land itself is subject to jurisdiction. Well, that's where you get into land patents and things yeah. like this, you know. Like, and I, I know a number of people here, even in Canada, that have land patents. There's a number of them in the U.S. I mean, and there's even stuff like what are those guys up in Montana that were basically holding out over that uh, that land issue, and the, the FBI couldn't even go on their land. What are those guys called? A bunch of the Montana Freeman or something like yeah. that. Yeah, like you know, I don't know. Is it a critical mass thing or I don't know? It's it's just like. The the problem that I see with so much of this is that so many people are so ignorant to the laws because like you know like like I said there are three kinds of law I mean there's there's even more if you really get into it there's natural law too but once you start to look at it and you actually start to read acts and statutes it's really dry and boring but the thing is is there's even a lot of remedy in the legal system itself like one example is. Like I started getting into this agricultural land reserve BS here in British Columbia because I was trying to find some solutions for farmers. And there are common law solutions. There's trust law solutions and all that. And some, and I would probably make the case that those are the greatest ones. But even in the legal, you can read some of these documents and there's so many holes in them. Like, for example, in this Agricultural Land Commission Act, they define person. So – Whenever you, whenever you read an act and you look at, okay, who does this law apply to? Sure. You've got to go and look at the definitions. And they'll often, if, if, if they're not, if they're not defaulting to something like Black's Laws or, or Bouvier's or any of these legal dictionaries where there's the common terminology in there, they'll redefine it in the act, just like you would in contract law. 
define, okay, who is this for? Who is these, who are these people we're talking about? In this act itself, it defines person as, this is what it says, a First Nations government. So what the hell is that? I'm not a First Nations government. Are you a First Nations government? Like, just an example of how even in that act alone, I found remedy right in the act to basically say, well, I don't know who you guys are talking about. And there's even things like we have this crazy thing in, in Canada called royal assent, which means like basically the queen or the governor general or lieutenant governor that are the acting authorities of royalty need to sign off on certain documents for them to have what's considered have force and effect. And most of the acts don't. And I, I pulled this out myself because three or four years ago, uh, it was four years ago. Now I had the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, which is kind of like your, uh, FDA try to shake me down on my microgreens operation and they, they, they sent me a letter and they said, Mr. Curtis Stone, we would like to, we're going to come and they, they, they didn't even give me the option, but I know anytime the government comes at you, it's an offer because everything is commercial. Sure. Like, this whole admiralty law system is all commercial law. So everything is an offer in commerce. And so they came at me and said, we're, we're going to come and inspect your farm on April 18th. We need you to be available for four hours and have this and blah, 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 blah. Most farmers I've consulted for in my career look at that and they throw their hands up and go, okay, just take me for whatever you got because they don't even want to research the damn laws. But I did my research, and these guys came at me, and I said, okay, Mr. Bureaucrat, I accept your offer to come on my property on these conditions. First, I want a copy of the act that is – I want a certified true copy of the act with proof of royal assent. <laughs> Second, I want uh, I want your documentation that says you have the ability to act under Her Majesty in good faith. And then three, I want a consulting fee of $250 an hour for my time. And then I put a tacit agreement on the bottom, said you got 21 days to respond by registered mail. And if you don't, this act, this, this offer is null and void. Dude disappeared. <laughs> Dude disappeared. That was my first foray into kind of solutions in commerce. And, and I realized that like there are so many things out there. All it takes is just a little bit of research. It's just everybody's so ignorant to the law. And that's how all these crooked cronies get away with it is that nobody knows anything about the law. And it's just like terms of service on your latest piece of software that you downloaded, right? Like it's the same thing. Nobody reads through that shit. And so anytime the government writes a new act, it's literally a contract in commerce and there's an offer on the table. And if you don't respond, that's a conditional acceptance and you've accepted the terms. And so I've found that we can actually unwind a lot of this stuff. Like I said, there's there's solutions in commerce through admiralty, there's solutions in trust law, and there's solutions in common law. Um, but nobody nobody does the research, and so we're we're essentially governed through ignorance. And I see. I think sometimes that kind of thing works. Where it doesn't work is it, and it's just where people really get into trouble. You use it on a bureaucrat. A lot of times that kind of thing works with bureaucrats. Police officers don't give a shit. You can be right, but you're not gonna you're not gonna successfully argue with a cop on the side of the road, and that leads people into to real problems. Um, oh yeah, they can. No doubt about it. You, there's 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 endless videos of you know they call them free man on the land doing yeah. dumb shit with cops. Like yeah. there's no question about it. There's ways to be smart about it. The way I see it is pick your battles. Yeah, you know, like yeah. to me, um, do I care? 
am, am I going to sit there and argue with a cop? I've got my kids in the back, my wife in the front. I'm going to argue with a cop over like a fucking hundred dollar ticket. It's like, no. dude, I'll pay your money. Just leave me alone. You know, yeah. like I'll be the person. And well, if I am going to argue that ticket, I'm going to argue it in the system. I'm not going to argue with a cop on the side of the road. Uh, absolutely. File your paperwork. Send an affidavit. I mean, I, I, I'm making myself out to sound like I, I have all these solutions. I, I'm not that guy, but. But there are so many, there's so many things to do it, but pick your battles, man. To me, the battle, the real battle is getting us on the land, forming sort of constitutional uh, communities and doing something. And I, I would love to see more people do that because I think like if we just look at the trends, like I, I'm pretty sure in the U.S. Trump will get reelected. So uh, it, it, barring some weird thing out of left field that tanks the economy. Exactly. It is a hundred percent. Hundred percent. And so, and with I'm Bernie probably going to be the, the Dem nominee, it's going to look like Reagan in '84. It's it's yeah. almost oh, going to be that big of a beating oh, for the left. Oh, 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 for sure. And I mean, I, I probably still think Bernie's going to take the knee to one of those cronies, realistically. So? But know, but man. but but that aside, I'm kind of optimistic that you know, and we got another four years to kind of like start taking more responsibility cuz i think that's what's really needs to happen it's not like let's just hope for cuz like i'm totally willing to accept that trump could be just another crony and this this whole thing is just bs cuz at the end of the day the, the way i see it is let's just stop expecting the fucking state to provide some solution for us let's take the reins and start taking responsibility. Let's get back on the land. Let's start growing our own food. Let's start fixing our own stuff. Let's start building our own communities. Like, let's come together. Let's do it. And I think there's so much, there's so many things that people could unify on even too. Because I've even found up here in Canada, I found a lot of common ground with leftists, especially on like First Nations issues. Because the thing that's really interesting up here is that the First Nations, which we call our Indians, um, they actually are bona fide sovereign nations and that like because Canada never confederated and that's right in our history. And and not only that, we didn't even sign the treaties with most of these with these First Nations. And so these guys are actually sovereign nations. A lot of them have been unfortunately become so dependent on the welfare state. And that's all been by design through this thing called the Indian Act. But like we have a, a, a way forward to kind of come together because I think, you know, the leftists are – there's there's sort of like these common myths that people on the right and the left think like leftist thinks everything everything is wrong because evil corporations and then people on the right think everything's wrong because evil government what i'm saying is they're both the same thing <laughs> like the government is a evil corporation so like we don't need to argue about which one it is cuz we're both kind of wrong and we're both kind of right let's come together and say like Let's just start working together as men and women on the land. Let's start like taking back our responsibility in this world for our children. Let's start feeding each other. Let's start helping each other out. And, and like all these politics are so damn divisive. And I, I, I can't help but fall into it sometimes too, though, you know, because you hear some of these things these social justice warriors say. It's just like I just my head explodes how insane it is. Uh, but I think there's that we could find so much common ground if people just like, and that's why I think food is great. And that's originally what got me into this in the beginning was like, it's not about politics. It's about like helping people grow food. And that's why even for many years, I was able to go to some of the most left wing conferences and listen to 
somebody give a talk before I go up about white privilege, you know, <laughs> and I come up and talk about farming. It's like, I don't care if people believe that shit. I mean, at the end of the day, if people start growing their own food and they start taking responsibility in their own life, I guess that's my sort of subversive way of like exposing them to liberty in some way. Yeah, you know, I think that the one thing everybody can agree on from all political stripes, and it's the place I try to always start the conversation, is something government does with your money is reprehensible to you. We might differ on which things are reprehensible with our money, but something that they do is reprehensible to you. Uh, for me, it's really reprehensible that they take my money and then they bomb places that couldn't find me on a map if you gave them a week of instruction, and kill children. I have a real problem with that being done with my money. And Absolutely. that is done with my money. And you can try Absolutely. to make the case that it's not, and I will show you pictures of blown-apart children that were blown apart with United States weapons paid for with my money. Yeah. And what it makes me think of is like when you're trying to figure out, like, well, how does this look if you actually can get there? If you had some more, some form of minarchy or something like that, or even just a more representative state, as bad as that would be, um, it still could be less bad. And one of the ways that I've postulated this, because you were talking about transparency, like where does this money actually go? Mm -hmm. There was a book written by Richard Bach, and I don't remember which one it was. It was not one of his best ones, but it was some concept of time travel was involved in it. And he and he's a pilot he, in real life and in his stories he's generally some sort of fictional person who is a pilot as well. He ends up traveling through time. He ends up in the backseat of an airplane. It's about to blow another airplane out of the air, and he realizes he's flying it in some sort of alternate universe. It's him that's going to do this, and um, and it's some distant future that he's involved in. And when they get they, 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 he shoots the other plane like it's really like a game. There's like no mm -hmm. blowing apart plane or anything, and he lands. He has this conversation with this alternate him in the distant future, and he starts talking about like you know if there's going to be a conflict, we 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 have a war game, but instead of killing each other, that was really <laughs> fanciful, and I don't think that's going to work. But he said, well, how do people pay for everything? Because you know he said, well, we still pay taxes, but there's no real funding for a military that kills people anymore. Right, And he's like, well, how does that work? He goes, well, when you pay taxes now, you allocate your money by right. percentage to where it goes. Yeah. Instead of the government earmarking your money, like if people really want this thing, then they earmark. And if they really don't want this other thing, they earmark it. And I, I was like, that could work. But I think the, the, fans, the, fan, the real fantasy in that, the real fantasy in that is not that that could happen. It's that people actually think People don't want what we have. The majority of people want exactly what we have. They oh, like sure. control. They want you controlled. They don't want to see you do better than them. They want to throw people in cages. They're okay with blowing shit up all around the world for no real reason. They like it the way it is. They want it. And if you think that's, that's false, the first thing you can get almost anybody to admit, government spends too much money. Then ask them to name one thing you can cut spending on. They won't know, but they're sure it can be done. Then give them something like the biggest expense we have, military spending, and they'll cut your throat. And it could be a leftist or a right, and they'll still cut your throat over the same program when you suggest cutting it without any idea of what you even mean by that. 
Yeah. You know, like, yeah. we got to have military spending. Okay, well, we already outspend the next 20 countries put together. Right, right. Surely we could, like, have a military that could defend our nation without outspending the next 20 nations. Like, there there has to be a way to do that. Like, well, and man, have we even that, tried, right? But they don't well, the want to know that. They don't want to hear it. Well, the fact that Americans are just more armed than anybody is worth a lot, too, yeah. right? Like, invading the U.S. is such a liability if it, if it comes to, like, tactical warfare. Could you imagine? But, I mean, I, th I think so much of this comes down to the fact that we simply live in too big of communities. Like, mm. I think what really – I mean, th this is why, the, again, going back to the original United States constitutional idea – was a good idea because all these diverse states, right? Like, you know, all these social justice warriors talk about diversity. I'm all about diversity, diversity of choice, you know? And, and, and let's just, that's where I think it could start and actually could hit the ground is that people could start coming together, get out of the city, start forming communities, learn some things about common law. In the U.S., you know, learn about what a state citizen is. Learn about what an American national is. These things actually exist. There's very easy roadmaps to get to these things. And then there's there's a huge framework uh, to do it. I mean, the U.S., I'll tell you, man, like, the, the you know, most of my, my, my friends, uh, at least like colleagues in, in, in business and stuff in, in, in this space are in the U.S. I spent so much time down there. Like, I'm more optimistic than ever down there um just because of how things are changing and like <laughs> if things keep going the way they're going here and going the way they're going down there i might move down there because things are getting so batshit crazy up here um but there's th i think there's a real opportunity for people to start coming together and and, and i'm not I'm, i'm trying i don't want to sound like i'm some like back to land or hippie Like that, that's not what this is. It's just the fact that when you look at the cesspool of what cities are becoming and what you're surrounded with, like how can you change anything? You know, like even in my town here, it used to be, has a long history of being fairly conservative. Like it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very religious, not so much anymore, but, but fairly conservative. It's barely like that anymore, man. Like our city hall is run by a bunch of social justice warriors and it's like things are getting crazy because If you believe this sort of social justice narrative, you're kind of out of touch. Oh, you have like, to be. You, you cannot you know, like, be a logical, like, rational person no, and so, a social justice warrior. It, it, those two things are mutually exclusive. They totally are. I, I try to, to not speak in absolutes anymore than I have to, but I'm telling you, that is an absolute because you are trying to, you are trying to create something that is completely counter to human nature because you yeah. want it. Well, it's this vision of like how the world ought to be and how the world is. It's just like when you get into the gender stuff, you know, like, like I, I kind of, I kind of put myself out there a little bit, got quite a bit of backlash here locally, but I, it was because I have children and, you know, they're having this drag queen story time. Like, yeah. I, you've probably seen this going on around the world, right? Like, this shit came to my town and it was in the library. And I was absolutely appalled by it because it's another one of these things like all these social justice warriors. It's like how the world ought to be versus how the world is. Oh, gender is a, a, a social construct. It's like, oh, okay, so I guess then all that transgender thing is just made up because it's a social construct, as you say, right? But there's so many logical inconsistencies in it. And it's like they're bringing this basically this stripper to this, the, the, the library to read to kids. And I wrote an article about it. I put it on Medium. 
And like, I just got trolled like crazy, but I'm just like, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I just don't fucking care anymore. It's like, (laughs) I am who I am and I'm just going to say shit. And if you don't like it, fine. Well, Uh, the gender thing is, is, is ridiculous. The fluid, the fluid gender thing is ridiculous, but the complete lunacy is there's, there's way more than two genders, right? There's only, there's only two logical answers that make any sense to the question of how many genders there are. There's the, the, the direct one of two, and then the, 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 maybe the more thinking, medically established one is, well, there's, there's three because hermaphrodites are a freak of nature that happen, right? Sure. So you either have male, female, or some mix. That's what you have. That's all that there is, right? And, and, and anything past that, you are into a delusional state. Now, if some dude wants to wear a dress and, and live like a woman, I don't care. I am totally fine with that. If I see him in the woman's washroom with my little girl, (laughs) I'm going to have something to say about it, right? That's what it comes down to with me. Like, I don't care what you want to be. But this whole... This whole thing of just, it's just, it's delusional. It's, it's just pure ideology. And it's, it's, it's degenerating society because what, what they're doing is telling you, and this, I see it in boys the worst. Like I went and did this talk at this like high school to a bunch of kids. It was sort of this like this entrepreneurial conference, bring all these entrepreneurs to talk to kids. Dude, I'd never seen more little boys with their tail between their legs oh, in yeah. my life. Yeah. They're, you're you're wrong for expressing masculinity. That's it what drives, the message me. is. That, like you should. The only way you can be a man and be decent is to to hate yourself for the fact that you're a man. That's it. Right. The only way you can be white you know, with some of these people and be okay is if you're a self-loathing white person. Then you're okay. Then yeah. you're cool. You, people can't express who they are. You you could see this right now in the clown show they call the Democrat debates. That Liz Warren is saying some moronic <laughs> shit, and so is that the, the club, right? The club no, is saying it's really stupid shit too. But no one will really attack either of them for the perception that they've gone after a woman. The the the, the fake Indian just attacked the the, the commie, and she was telling the story about how when she was she lost her first job as a teacher because she got pregnant. Uh, she was attacking Bloomberg. That's what she was, she was attacking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I saw that. Well, not time. one person on that stage said, hey, you're full of shit. You're lying. Because this yeah. was already proven that you never lost a job for this. No one called her out on it. Yeah. That was, they won't. They won't do it. And that is... And and they're old. They're all old rich guys, right? So if anybody totally. would do it, they would do it. If they're afraid to do it, you're putting these kids through this meat grinder of public indoctrination they call school now. And... They're being taught that it's wrong to act like a boy. You know what? Yeah. Boys push each other. They shove each other. They punch each other in the face, right? But they and they learn from the it. Fucking country, yeah, and, and, and stand yeah. their ground, right? I mean, that's the whole thing that's driving me crazy. But it, it, all, it all seems like it's perfectly by design to like squash out the sort of heroic American, um, you know that that that. Well, I have a friend who just came off of the. They call it the drill sergeant trail, and and he was a drill sergeant for two years in a combat MOS, um, and he said it is an incredible problem. They, these these kids can't. You know, you're going into combat. They can't take a punch. Oh, they have them. So they bad. have them slap fight each other, which it, it's not what it sounds like. Like it's pretty brutal, but just to get them to the point where they understand aggression. Yeah. And I've seen things happen in the military that, like, I am very opposed to a lot of ways the military is being used, but, like, 
I don't think the people making these decisions really get the demasculization and what they're doing. Like they, they stopped doing bayonet training in the army. Yeah. And so the, the, the concept of that is that's, that's ancient warfare. That's, we don't do bayonet charges anymore. This makes no sense in a modern military. But it does make sense because when I went through it, it was the first time that I became fully and totally 100% in touch with my job might involve me having to kill somebody to stay alive. And when I got to the end of that course, and I'm talking you know, running through like an obstacle course with the bayonet course, I was literally totally spent like hit the ground, damn near passed out, that exhausted from it. And it changed my mindset in that warrior way, which, again, I don't want to be blowing kids up in hospitals on the other side of the world to protect oil interests, which is what we do. But if you're going to send a guy out where some guy that grew up in the mountains is going to try to kill his ass, he better be in touch with that part of himself or he is a liability to himself and his buddies. And if you have oh, a totally. platoon of those people... I'm amazed that we don't that, that our military is still as effective as it is. Well, I, th I think that's by design because the the elites have wanted because the the U.S. Constitution is unlike any other document around the world, and I think that's by design to break down the American hero so that they can just it can be another European Union, you know, and it's it's it's. That's what that it seems like all these things are coming to a head right now. And you, you think about the social justice stuff, all this other shit that's going on. It's like they're just throwing shit at a wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. They're just throwing everything at a wall and seeing what sticks. And a lot of it isn't sticking. And that's kind of what's given me hope. Like this yeah. whole climate change narrative, just they've just been hammering that for years. It just isn't sticking. Well, it's like, like, they call it the four, they, the four turnings, right? It's the four turnings of generations. And If you look at it that way, the last real badass generation we had was the World War II generation. Totally. Well, that puts us primed that these young kids, if they're not totally screwed up, not the millennials, the next generation, that's your next World War II generation. But that also means your weakest generation is the millennials. And yeah, I think that's playing out. Insane, right? You know? That's it's playing like out. That uh, sorry, Jack. Uh, it's like that thing that's like, uh, you know, strong men lead to good times, yep. good times lead to weak men, weak men lead. We're, we're in a generation of weak men, right? That's, we are. So we're, we're, we're definitely going into some hard times. Uh, but maybe it'll create some strong men. And, and maybe we can get back to something where we can find a way. I mean, I, I, a way to, to find some, I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm not a utopian, but it's just like, When you look at what's going on, it's just it's just insane. And I mean, I think I've never been, you know, going kind of going back to farming a bit. I've never really farmed harder than I am now in the sense like when I've commercially farmed the last 10 years, I've really just done all this stuff to, to grow my business and all that. But now I'm kind of coming at it as a homesteader perspective and a, pre a prepper perspective. And it's kind of I'm learning a lot of different things along the way. But we th there's so many things that people could do. I think getting back to the land is getting back to the land metaphorically and and literally you know metaphorically and like understanding the common law getting getting back on the land getting out of this admiralty law thing you know like you know the, we're 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 drowning in the holy sea and Jesus wants us to walk on water that's how i see the holy sea is this whole admiralty law system we need to start walking on water we need to establish our common law roots and also that that comes out in the literal way we need to start 
taking back these things and it's not it's not a thing of let's go back and dial the clock back a hundred years and live in these agrarian societies i think there's a lot of danger in that you know history oh, yeah, is, it's oh, a disaster agrarianism is no. is a disaster like it was in russia but even with what you were saying earlier talking about siberia i mean it is true because even then that yeah you'd get dropped off in siberia but when 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 lenin really started to come to power in soviet russia the only place they could really keep this radical communist model was in the cities and close to the yeah. cities. Capitalism existed out in the country. Of course right? it did. That's where the free market was. I think that's what's going on now. It's like if you want liberty, you got to get out of these cities because to fight against this like rising tide of, of social justice, like insanity, leftism, man, it's it's – it's a losing battle, and I, I, I've even seen it. I never saw, I never thought in my life I would see it in my hometown, but I'm seeing it here. Like just this insanity of people are inviting in their own demise. Like, like we're just, it's, it's like whether it's the sanctuary cities type thing in the U.S. That's that's here in Canada as well, or if it's just like letting all like this sort of this 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 idea to do good for people, which is a good thing. But then you let all these junkies steamroll you. And that's what's happened in my hometown here. It's like there's the will to do good and take care of people who have been hard done by. But then you go, okay, well, we want to look after, you know, mothers with young children or whatever. Uh, But then all you end up looking after is a bunch of like sketchy dudes that are high on drugs and are going to steal your shit. And that's what's going on in my town. And it's like I just look at the next 10 years and I'm going, man. I don't think we're going to change this tide. I think this tide's going. The question is, I think it'll change, but it's a, it, it doesn't look good while it while it happens. There's going to be. I, I've, I've talked about the next you know 20 years of flux, and that flux is both this degradation of humanity, but it's also very technological. And that technology has good things and bad things about it. I'm I'm totally with you on get out. Um, you don't necessarily have to move out to the middle of nowhere, but be strategic. Like, I live 20 minutes from Fort Worth. Yeah. I live nothing like a person in Fort Worth lives. There are probably stacks of books of codes and regulation that apply to you if you are five miles down the road that don't apply to me. I can do anything I want here with no approval process, no permit, no anything. The only thing that exists in unincorporated Tarrant County when you go to build a house, you pay $500 for a septic permit. And all that means is you have some approved method of dealing with your shit. And there's yeah. lots of ways to do it. Once yeah. they give you that permit to build and they leave, you never have to ask them for anything ever again. I moved here for some, like, this is not a perfect piece of land with some issues with the, the soil and rock and things like that. I moved here for that because I was like, so I'm sure you're familiar with the concept of the scale of permanence, right? Mm-hmm. Right. The scale of permanence is something that's very big in permaculture circles, yep. and it's that there are things that are easy to change and things that are hard to change. And the the ultimate permanence is something like a mountain. Yes. Right? That is the top of the scale of permanence. Like that mountain is not going anywhere. You have to design with that mountain in mind. You cannot move, remove the mountain. Then the next thing below that, is laws, codes, and regulations. Yeah, right. That is the, 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 the second most permanent thing in your existence. So no matter how you're going to do it, if you're going to try it through sovereign citizenry, you're going to try it through understanding the regulations, it, whatever, start out in the place that has the least 
of those things that you oh, can find. Sure. Go to the place that's already as close to what you want as possible and then figure out how to design your life to deal with what's left. Because my other thing for permaculture that I that has hit me in everything that I do harder than any other single line was when Jeff Lawton said he was talking about, and he had no idea, I think, that it went anywhere else. He was just talking about a project that he built. And he was said, the more restrictions placed on a design, the more elegant the design if the designer is up to the task. And I thought, well, I don't necessarily need to have a lot of restrictions. But if I start approaching everything I do, business, life, farming, everything I do, with the concept of the first thing I'm going to do is identify the restrictions, and then I'm going to figure out what I want to do that those restrictions interfere with, and then the very next step is how do I rape those rules? How do I rape those rules in a way where I can call up my, you know, my town councilman or whatever and say, hey, jackass, I'm doing this and you can't do shit about it and hang the phone up. I'm not necessarily <laughs> going to take that step, but I want to do it in a way that they can come look at it, they can frown about it, they can cry about it, and they can't do anything about it. And if they do do something, I am going to, I'm not going to so much worry about courts as a remedy. I'm going to use the court of a public opinion and I'm going to make them look like miserable assholes right. in and public so and embarrass the shit out of them because a, a, the best way to deal with a politician is embarrassment. You were talking Absolutely. about native, native, you know, native uh, American reservations earlier. You, they don't do crap because the last thing you want to be seen is the politician picking on an Indian. Right, oh, that will you will get obliterated. They would. It doesn't matter if you're conservative or liberal. It doesn't matter. You're done if you mess with an Indian. And I think that actually might be so. My play that I've always seen this here is the Indian reservations do have an awful lot of autonomy, and I actually think they could have more. There's a lot of things that hold those people back, like they can't they can't really sell they access sell to their land. But what if they did it anyway? But what if they did it anyway and just said, oh, you don't give a shit." Yeah. And so then that would open up. There's some pretty big reservations that are pretty small populations. Yep. They'll bring something like cryptocurrency in, issue it as your own tribal currency. And, dude, that's 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 some exciting stuff. Sell that into circulation and yep. say to Jack Spirico, hey, Jack Spirico, you seem like a guy that gets shit done. How'd you like to be a tribal citizen? Well, yep. what do I have to do? You pay a fee and we'll yep. make you a tribal citizen. But I don't have any that tribal ancestry. Hey, whatever the hell we say. Is what is. How much well, is it? Five so, grand, and here's your piece of the reservation to farm on, or help us build community with, or whatever. You know what I'd say? Here's your five grand. What do you want? Yeah. It, you, what do you want? It, Bitcoin or Navajo coin or whatever the hell you call? It? I don't give a shit. Here you go. Now I'm a tribal citizen. Oh, so yeah. now yeah. all of a sudden I have that, some autonomy, and I'm issue. like, you know, you guys can go screw because you're not dealing with Jack Spirico, American citizen, you're dealing with Jack Spirico of the, the Chippewa Nation or whatever, well, and, and see, I don't the, give a shit about you. Yeah, the opportunity there, uh, and I actually just wrote about this the other day on Facebook, is that there was a, a UN declaration called the UN DRIP, the UN Declaration uh, regarding Indigenous something, protections or something like that. Yeah. And so what that means now is that the UN, and <laughs> the UN's a crooked organization in my opinion however oh, yeah. <laughs> they are the essential de facto rulers of the world in many ways at least one of the arms of them they recognize indigenous um, nations as sovereign nations and so there we even have a nation here in uh, in bc that has their own passports and i've actually been involved in some conversations with these groups 
because I think what you just said is actually a massive idea in that if we could have these sovereign nations basically have a vehicle to say, hey, maybe we can start bringing other people in. Because the way I see it at a fundamental level is if you're born on the land, you're of that land, just like a bear born in the forest. So there is no difference between the First Nations, the Native Americans, than there is people that are born on this land. The only difference is that if you've accepted the personhood of the de facto state, which is your all-caps name, then that's your sort of admiralty law position. But if you can find that and, and understand where you are, you're on the land, you're not in the sea, then you can be in that nation. I think we're, we, there's a massive opportunity in that. There, and there's a lot there, currency. too. Yeah, like so, like, so the other thing on this, easy. so think about this, Curtis. If you are a member of the Chippewa Nation, you're a member of that nation, that, that nation, no matter where you go. The nation is not defined by borders. It's defined by unity under a concept, which is why I started talking about this years ago, the concept eventually with all this technology we have now of virtual, virtual nations. So you create a nation oh, yeah, that I've people can become part about, part yeah. of. And there's people that have played with it, and it was nothing but like a, a way to make a bunch of money on an IPO, an ICO for virtual coins and a WordPress site that didn't do anything. But there literally could be the point where I'm not a citizen of the United States. I'm a citizen of Libertas or whatever. Yeah. But the way that you get – see, the problem you have with that is you have no land – And it doesn't – see, let's say I am a British citizen in the United States. I still have to deal with U.S. law while I'm here, right? Mm -hmm. There's no place I can go as a British citizen other than Britain and be subject only to what the rules in Britain are. But if you marry those two together, where you kind of have a home base, a home operation, as a tribal citizen, you may never have to step foot on that land to use that land to your advantage. In other words, yeah, Navajo Nation now has a banking system. Oh, yeah, all those international regulations that make it impossible for U.S. citizens to bank with other nations. We don't care. Oh, yeah, that's all possible. We, we don't care. What that's are you going to do? Are you going to go shut down the Navajo Nation? Are you, you really see a, a yeah. place where there's the political will to do that? So all of a sudden, Jack Spierko's company is headquartered in Navajo land. Yep. Or whatever they decide to call themselves. I'm not going to tell yeah. them what to call themselves. Just and, as and I'm a in D.C. And I'm a citizen. Idea. And I'm yeah. a citizen. Yep. Right? And maybe I pay them a certain amount of money initially. And maybe I pay them a recurring fee for all of the advantages they offer. Because I don't have to be. It's my choice to be a citizen. And then if you, like, I believe the enterprise that could be built with that is massive. And it would require lots of expertise. They should be building the, the Navajo hospital. They should be not subject to all the bullshit that we are in the United States that elevates our medical costs. And they should say to you, Curtis Stone, hey, well, you guys you got universal health care up there, but if you'd like your surgery before you die, you can come yeah. here and you can get it for a lot less money. Yeah. Right? And, they, and And build a hospital on that. And then you're capitalizing not just on the people that want to be part of what you're doing, but the people that say, hey, maybe there's a reason to go to a native reservation other than gambling. Because mm -hmm. the gambling on places, you could build an entire metropolis on the concept of freedom. Because one thing I will say for native peoples is they tend to value freedom and liberty. 
Yeah, in some ways. I mean, I, I've worked with, with native uh, tribes a few times, actually, in the U.S. and Canada. And, and one thing that you do find, which is an unfortunate reality of the situation, is that the will is often not there. Yeah. You'll find You'll find, like... There's there's like really mo- there's a lot of motivation in a couple individuals that 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 bring you there or something and then like I've gone and drafted up pl- farm plans and stuff like this for communities but then when it comes down to like people just picking up the tools and making it happen it's just not they don't there do it. yeah. you know it's just a sort of institutional it's domestication like, it's well, domestication it's, it's it's literally domestication I mean in Canada here they did it through just like really generous welfare state and also yep. alcoholism you know yep. and it. And they, they, they literally destroyed a culture that way. And, and it's sad because we still see that shit today. Like right now with all this stuff in Canada, what's happening is all these like First Nations communities. And, and it's very complicated because there's some legitimacy to it. And there's also just a bunch of paid activists in there trying to disturb shit. But there is like, they just, at the end of the day, they're just asking for more money. And it's like, that's not going to help you. Well, that's not what, what the natives in Canada. I mean, I've read the Indian Act and it's like this crazy racist document. Um, just getting rid of that shit and just saying, you know what? Fuck, fuck your, uh, fuck the queen. We're going to, we're going to go it on our own. We're, we are a bona fide sovereign nation. The UN now recognizes that we're going to make our own passports. Some of them actually have done that. Um, and, uh, if they invited people in, like we've been talking about here, that would change the fucking game, man. Oh, yeah, because it brings the in will, revenue. It, well, it brings in new blood, right? Because and it brings the in, will, in motivation. Because here's the uh, truth, Curtis. Like, in this country, you have a reservation where, you know, the tribal income from the casinos or whatever ends up netting every adult on that reservation, let's say, $800 a month. All right? That's not a lot of money. And it almost all gets spent. Mm-hmm. Wasted. The, the reality is those Indian reservations should be the home of the wealthiest people in America because you can still go out and earn a living somewhere else. Yeah. And if, if you had one generation save half of their money in the most conventional conservative investing way possible, you would build unbelievable generational wealth. But you have a, a population is probably the poorest population in the United States. Oh, 100%. And it, it doesn't make any sense other than full domestication. And when Vin Armani yeah. was on, he was talking about um, this movie. Oh, I love Vin. The movie, I think it was uh, Wounded Knee or something like that. And the very end of it, they're on the reservation, and the young, you know, brave and all his makeup and everything comes out on a horse and says to his father or his uncle or his grandfather or something like that, it's not bad. Look, they let us hunt. Mm-hmm. And they have like a cow sitting that they brought in for him to kill. Yeah. And the guy is just, just you can just see his face. He's I've not seen the scene myself, but from Vince said like the guy he's just in tears and he realizes that it's over, that yeah. the freedom is over, and there there is there is so much to that, and that's what's happened is we take these people, you give them a very small amount of money, you give them the ability to survive. You give them some autonomy, but you make them just comfortable enough not to try harder. Mm-hmm. And then the ways that they're best suited to help them, you say they can't do that. But like I said, I really think that if any one of these reservations could just say, you know, we're doing that shit, and you, you're not going to stop us. And I don't think there yeah. is any political will. I don't think it could do it. And like you said, if they start issuing passports... 
Well, now if I become a citizen and they give me a passport, I can travel, I can, I can, I can go anywhere in the world, and there's a lot of places in the world that I'm not actually a fan of their government. But if I'm there as a, as I'm there as a tourist, I, you know, I'm moving around, kind of doing the, 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 you know, man without a country thing. They don't want any money from me either. Yeah. I can shelter 100% of my income that way and just travel because I'm not Absolutely. using their services as a citizen. I don't have to pay for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. and there's people doing that today, but if you, it's very difficult because you have to obtain citizenship in a country that is the kind of country you want to be a citizen of. You know, Costa Rica and Panama are the two most common ones people used to do this, and then you don't spend a lot of time there. Yeah. Well, you know, if you're if you're selling that, it's a totally different situation, and it could yeah. they, it's their it's their deal. They can do it however they want. So you know, we talked about the stipend those people get. Well, that doesn't mean because I bought in, I get that too. Mm-hmm. You can almost have a second class of citizenry there, mm-hmm. right? You yeah, get you all could. of these I mean, benefits. But you don't get this because yeah. you came in from the outside, so you are not entitled to these other things. And people can say whatever they want, but hey, you don't like it? Don't join. You think it's too expensive? Don't join. That's great. I don't want you there. <laughs> you know. But I think there's a potential for something like that. That might be the the way to do it, honestly. Totally. I, I think it's, it's it's super exciting, and there are. I don't want to say too much about it because I, I I've been involved with a group here. Um, kind of just doing stuff on the back end, not not really public, but that that has done that has actually set up a a sovereign nation through those vehicles, and it's it's really interesting actually. The indigenous thing, um, there is so much potential in it. It's it's absolutely mind boggling once you get into it. There's so much opportunity, and so I mean we've been going almost two hours here. Like I, I I'm feeling pretty optimistic, Jack. I'm I'm feeling pretty stoked, man. Like we've we we solved some problems here. And I think um, you know, there's some there's so many solutions out there for people that they just gotta do it. They gotta start. I mean, you touched on one thing that somebody can pull so much from that you just kinda glossed over when you when you went on about it, but the fact that you bought land in unincorporated an unincorporated area, that alone is so valuable and like my sort of mo for for many years has been to follow the path of least resistance and that's kind of what you were saying when you when you're talking about jeff too is that you know you can't move these mountains right so so go the path of least resistance start there get a footing there and then and then and then get it going but you know a, a lot of what uh, what's often overlooked, you know, it's real. It's it's great to just have these conversations about liberty and obsess about it. Um, one thing I I recognize that I've done because I I've met a lot of people in this sort of uh, sovereign movement, I guess you could say. Um, that term gets misused a lot, but is uh, one thing I take for granted that's been pointed out to me by a lot of these guys is I went out and built a good business that made money, and then I got into this stuff. Whereas I know some I know some guys and girls who have been into this stuff for many years and they've just been obsessing over it for 20 years and haven't built a business and they're all poor hmm. and they're doing it. And it's like, now they're going, Oh my God, I'm now I'm like 50 years old. I don't have any money and I'm still doing this stuff. And now they're trying to get into business and, and all that. So it's important to like, kind of like it's that zone zero thing in permaculture, you know, like sort your shit out first. <laughs> yeah. Get, yeah. get, get your house in order as Jordan Peterson puts it, you know, like, Sort yourself out, take care of your family, make sure you've got a surplus, you know, that's a permaculture principle too, and, and, and then then extend out there. And I, th- I think Peterson actually really put it really well in 
And I don't think he came up with that idea, but he, but he articulated it well. It's like, you know, sort, clean your room, go out from there, take responsibility for yourself, then take responsibility for, for your family, and then extend that out as far as humanly possible. Because I think for me, that's the greatest thing uh, uh, somebody can do in their life is just take responsibility as far as they can go. If all you do in your life is take responsibility really well for your family, I think you've done really well. But if you if you if you can go and take responsibility for your inner community and then your greater community and then the world at large and who knows how far that can go, that's an amazing life to live and that's a life of purpose and that's what I'm trying to do. So before I let you go, then um, one of the things we have not talked about, you have this new podcast. Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. So Liberty on the Land. Um, I'm not as frequent as you are. Uh, it's LibertyOnTheLand.com is the site and. Uh, The whole thing came out of me just trying to find solutions. First, I was I was reading acts and statutes in Canadian history, and that kind of led me down a rabbit hole. Because I, you know, like to be honest, like I've I've been into the conspiracy theories for a long time in my life, but I just didn't find any remedy in them. Like I just found it's like, yeah, okay, you could listen to a guy like Alex Jones like riff on like who's controlling what. It's like how how far do you want to go with that, and what utility does it have at the end of the day? So I started this podcast that was just kind of more about exploring solutions. And so I've had some amazing guests. Um, had this guy, Cal Washington, who's done some incredible stuff with commercial law in, in, in Canada here. Had a, another guy, Kevin Annette, who, um, who was the guy that blew the whistle on the residential schools here in, in Canada. Uh, had another guy, Doug Force, that was kind of one of the, one of the dudes that really brought forth recently this whole idea of, well, not an idea, this whole historical fact that Canada is just this de facto military corporation. Um, and, and, and people that are just like really bringing down heavy ideas. I've even had John Moody on the podcast. The whole, the whole concept of the podcast is like, is it quite literally built in the name, Liberty, Liberty on the Land. How can we, recognize our purpose on the land and then where are solutions in that whether they come to growing food or whether there's solutions in like understanding the political space a bit better uh solutions in the law um you know just it's just all about solutions so i i don't have like a a regular schedule to the podcast i kind of do it when i can and be, usually when my kids are sleeping <laughs> i record the episodes But that's what it is. So if people want to learn more about it, they can just go to libertyontheland.com. I, po I just post them there for now. I also put them on YouTube a bit. But in this whole endless censorship world with Google, I don't know if I'll continue to put them on YouTube because it might just screw over my YouTube channel. So. Yeah. See? Yeah. All right, man. Well, hey, I, I really enjoyed chatting with you today. I'll make sure there's links to that and all the rest of your stuff in the uh, show notes for people today. And, and I really enjoyed the conversation. This is a little bit – actually, it's very similar to the conversation I had with the guest yesterday. That was totally unplanned, and we haven't really dug into some of these things recently. So I, I'm glad that I had you on, and we've kind of had this theme going through this week. Yeah, I love it, Jack. It's, a, it's always a pleasure, man. I just love bouncing around ideas with you and, and talking about these things. So looking forward to doing it again. All right, man. Appreciate you. All right. All right, I kind of want to wrap up quick because we had two days in a row of really long shows, but with people like Nick Ferguson yesterday and Curtis Stone today, it's, it's to be expected. We have these really deep and interesting conversations, and we've kind of gone in a little bit of a different direction today uh, than we have recently, as I said to Curtis during this interview, and I think it's a good thing, and we probably need to talk more like this uh, going forward and into the future. 
Uh, with that, though, let me remind you one of the ways you can help support this show is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. If you're going to buy something online anyway and you go to tspaz first before you do, you'll help support us no matter what you buy. So check it out, tspaz.com. You'll see all of my items I've reviewed, not reviewed on Amazon. Any item on that site that you see there with my review is not something that I looked up information online about. I own it, I spent my money on it, and I would buy it again if I needed it again, or I will not recommend it. Integrity is a big part of my brand, and when I, when I recommend a product, uh, I want you to always know that if I didn't own it, use it, buy it myself, if I wouldn't recommend it to my best friend, I wouldn't recommend it to you. Today's product I brought around recently about a month ago. I'm bringing it back around today because there's been so much positive feedback on it and what you do with it. It's the Dash Mini uh, Waffle Maker, and it's just really cool. Um, it makes little waffles, but what I make with it is it's called a chaffle for keto. And it uses egg, and it uses cheese, and it uses a little bit of uh, baking powder, and a little bit of xanathan gum, and some almond meal. And you make these very low-carb waffle-like things. They call them chaffles. They don't taste like a waffle. They taste like a chaffle. Chaffle does not taste like cheesy egg, though. It really is good. I made it this morning. I got a lot of positive feedback from the pictures that I shared because I make a chaffle, then I put cream cheese on it, and then I make a beautiful little microgreen-type salad on top of it. The pictures I posted today were really well-received on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, and a lot of people were asking, well, how do I make this You know, how do I make this? So I figured I'd bring this item uh, back around again. Again, it's called the Dash Mini Waffle Maker. They're 10 to 15 bucks, depending on the color you pick. And in the write-up today, it tells you exactly how to make chaffles. There's a video that shows you how to make chaffles. It's pretty awesome. And you'll find a link uh, that can take you to uh, the post I did this morning so you can see uh, what all the fuss is all about. And it is pretty cool. With that, let's uh, real quick introduce you to the song of the day today. It's called It Ain't Easy Being Me by Chris Knight. And when you listen to this song the first time through, you, you kind of get the impression that the guy is really, really self-destructive. And it, it certainly can come off that way. It certainly could be interpreted that way. But it's really not what he was pointing out. He was talking about not fitting in and having to make your own way. That's really what this song's about, and that really is a lot about what we talked about today. Realizing that you know a lot of us are not going to fit into what has become considered the norms of society because we're not insane, and that means that we might appear to be insane to people who are. And I think there's more than one type of insanity. Not everybody that's insane is dribbling on themselves in in a, in a rubber room. There is insane behavior, such as believing there's more than two genders. Or like I said, maybe you can make a case that there is a third, which is a hermaphroditic situation. Like, if you really believe there's 78 genders, you are insane. You are insane. I, you absolutely are. You know, Curtis brought up the, uh, the drag queen story hours or whatever. I don't even care because it's being done in libraries and it's voluntary and whatever. But I think if you take your child to one of those... You are insane. I'm sorry, you're insane. I don't want to prevent it from happening. I just don't want you to be insane and to go there. But a lot of the things that we do in the world of sanity to the insane appear insane. So it might look like you self-destruct once a day, but what you're really doing is preserving yourself. Think about that when you listen to the words of this song. With that, it's been Jack Spierko today with Curtis Stone with another episode of the Survival Podcast.
I had to work to be the jerk I've come to be. 